Hi friends, how are you today? I hope you're having a wonderful day so far. Today's Monday, which means it's Murder, Mystery, and Makeup Monday. If you are new here, hi, welcome. My name is Bailey Sarian, and on Mondays I sit down and I talk about a true crime story that's been heavy on my noggin and I do my makeup at the same time. If you're interested in true crime and you like makeup, I would highly suggest you hit that subscribe button because I'm here for you on Mondays. Let's get into today's story. Today's story does involve Satanism. Today's story is not a reflection of the whole Satanism religion, you know? Like we're adults here, we could separate the two. I just have to say that because it never fails. Whenever a religion is mentioned, they think that I'm suggesting that it represents the whole religion and I I'm not. We're separating the two, right? I forget to mention that in a lot of these stories and I need to remember that because it never fails. There's bad seeds no matter where you look. Sean Sellers, talking about him. Have you heard of him? Well, let me tell you, drama, 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 because he was like the youngest guy to ever be executed in the United States. And I'm totally jumping ahead, but that's why the story is like, wow. So who's Sean Sellers? Let me tell you. Sean Sellers was born in California on May 18th, 1969. Sean's mom, her name was Vonda. Now she was only 16 when she had him. And his biological father was said to be very unstable and a bit of an alcoholic. But at the age of three, Sean's mother and father, they ended up separating. And then Vonda quickly met a new man who was a truck driver named Lee. His real name's Paul, but they called him Lee. So Lee, okay, he's a truck driver, cool, they meet. And after meeting, the two of them just ran off together, got married, and Sean's mother left Sean behind with his grandparents in Oklahoma. Now, Sean's mother and stepfather would spend their time driving across the country, and then they would stop by every so often, like every few weeks to visit Sean. So at the age of eight, Sean's mother and stepfather, they ended up moving to Los Angeles and they took Sean with them. So he went from living in a small town um, with his grandparents in Oklahoma, remember? And now he's moving or he moved to Los Angeles where he said it was a lot more hectic and like they went into this small apartment. So it was just a really rough adjustment. Sean said though, he was happy because he was living with his mom again and also with Lee, who Sean considered his father. By the time Sean was 16, he had moved around 30 different times. So he's jumping around from town to town for reasons related to his parents' jobs. Now it was rough because Sean was never able to make friends, have a stable home, you know? If he liked a place, he knew like he couldn't get attached to it or get comfortable because they would probably be moving again. Like 30 times is wild. But over time, Sean just stopped trying to make friends and preferred just being alone because what was the point? They were just gonna move again. Sean would say that in the family household, he would suffer beatings from his mother as well as from his grandfather when he was living with him. And then there was a short period of time when Sean was living with his uncle and this uncle did not like that Sean would wet the bed at night. So he would force him to wear diapers when he went to bed. I guess that that's fine, right? Normally, like they wet the bed, wear a diaper at night, it's fine. But Sean was around the age of 12, 13 years old. So this was just humiliating to him. Sean would say that if he wet the bed two nights in a row, the uncle would force Sean to wear the soiled diaper on his head for the day. So that uncle's a little 
not right, you know? Sean would say that he was a pretty intense guy. Like he would take Sean hunting and teach him how to kill the animals by doing certain techniques. I won't go into graphic detail, but he would teach him how to kill the animals. And Sean would say that he would watch his uncle kill animals in a pretty brutal way. And if Sean was grossed out at all, or like didn't want to watch or participate, the uncle would make fun of him, calling him a wimp, telling him that he's pathetic and was just really mean. He sounded like a real awful guy. So it wasn't until his family moved to Colorado that the now teenage Sean felt happy for the first time. When they moved there, you know, he was going to school and he joined the Civil Air Patrol and he had been studying emergency response training, which he would eventually graduate from the program with outstanding honors. Sean's mother and stepfather, they really took notice to like him being passionate about something and him like really applying himself towards this new interest. And they made him really proud. They were very proud of Sean. He was just doing really well. It was clear to them that their quiet, well-behaved son was finally like coming out of his shell a bit. Teachers at the high school Sean was attending knew him as a good student who loved comic books and he had a talent for drawing. Sean wasn't popular by any means. He had like a few friends, but for the most part, he really just enjoyed learning. Pretty good kid. Many of his teachers noted that Sean absolutely loved reading and that he almost always had his nose in a book. Bookworm. Again, in Colorado, it was just like day and night. Sean just seemed like a different person. He was finding himself. He seemed happy and he just seemed to really be doing well in school right? Things are great. He's happy. Yay. And then things changed. Not long after moving to Colorado, you know, Sean's getting all settled in. He's doing well. His parents notified him or informed him that they would be moving again. This time they're going back to Oklahoma. So for obvious reasons, like Sean is devastated by this news. He finally found somewhere that he belonged. He's doing well. He's succeeding in life. He has hobbies. He's just doing well. He doesn't want to go. And he's trying to convince his parents to just let him stay. Like for the first time in my life, things are doing well. Please just let me stay. Sean's parents knew that there's no way that they could leave their 15 year old alone in Colorado when they moved to Oklahoma. So unfortunately they had to move and they did. So they headed back to Oklahoma City. And then after they moved, Sean's attitude changed. He was angry. He's a teenager for starters. So that's not good because they're usually a little angry already, you know? But now he hates his parents, okay? And he just didn't see the point in participating or giving his all in this new city because what was the freaking point? They were probably gonna move again once he started to like it there, you know? Now Sean's mom, Vonda, she had a temper of her own. She just seemed to take her frustrations out on Sean. He was often beaten for different reasons. She would slap him across the face, hit him with a belt, or just punch him in the face. And all of this and the move just really broke him and his anger was building up inside. While in school, Sean said that he received an underground magazine from some guy who was promoting the occult. He's like, ooh, what's this? And like it was a handmade magazine and it was just filled with satanic metal bands. There was an interview and art 
artwork from Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, remember? There were cartoons of different serial killers in the magazine. It was just focused mainly on satanic killers. Sean said when he got this, he was interested, okay? He was like, what is this? I've never seen something like this before. I don't quite understand this next part, but Sean said that he met someone who considered themselves a witch. No idea where they met this person, but it was said that he met a witch, okay? And that this witch taught him the ins and out of black magic and that he was just really infatuated with it all. It was all new, it was different, it was intriguing. He liked it, you know? So now that he was introduced to it, Sean was trying to do all of his own research on witchcraft and he would go to his local library and find books on the topic. Now this would lead him to find books about Satanism and no, I'm not saying they go hand in hand, but this is how Sean was introduced to it. Like it was in the same section. So he finds this book that he's like, oh, what is this? Satan? Oh, let me read this, you know? And he's just obsessed. It's a new obsession. It just really caught his interest. And Sean said that he was so interested in it because he was mad at God. And that Satanism, it was offering freedom and a promise to control his life and control others. That's what really lured him in. The thing that Sean felt he lacked most in life was control over himself and his environment. At his age, his life could be and was easily uprooted and at any moment, you know, by his parents and he just loathed them for that. Practicing Satanism would become like a normal thing for Sean in his day-to-day -day life. At this time, he's also playing Dungeon and Dragons and some articles try to say that like inspired him even more to get into Satanism. But Sean said in a blog post that it was not the Dungeon and Dragons that got him into it. It was just something that people were using to like feed the narrative. So I'm just saying that because if you heard that and you're like, what about Dungeon and Dragons? He said it wasn't. Dungeon and Dragons. So at this time, Sean is in a Satan. Cool. So he's a sophomore in high school at this time. And Sean said that he would bring small vials of blood and like wear it around his neck. And then throughout the day in class, he would drink the blood. So he turned into like that kid. Maybe you didn't have that kid in your class, but there was like one of those, you know, drinking blood. I'm not judging, but I can't imagine that's good for you. I don't know. Anyway, so he's doing that. Sean said that Satanism taught him that he could make his own rules to live by in life and the rituals of it would allow him to take his control back. And Sean's knowledge on Satanism grew because he was just reading anything and everything he possibly could about the topic. And he said that he would participate in various satanic rituals more and more often. What he didn't see coming though was the side effects that came along with this. Oh yes, side effects. Over time, Sean started having strange problems as he called them. He said that he was hearing voices in his head, but he was hearing voices in his head from a young age, but these voices seemed to amplify and would soon sound very different than how they once had. He said that these voices were demons and they urged him to do the things that he wanted done. Whatever that means, you know? I think most people would be like, oh, there's a demon in me. I need to get it out, but not Sean, nay, nay. He would say that these voices didn't scare him at all. It just solidified the idea that Sean was doing something right. He's communicating with these demons. Soon after, Sean realized that the demon voices were showing up in his mind more and more. And he said that he began having blackout periods in which 
like a light switch of his awareness would be flicked off for a period of time and he just wouldn't have any memory of like what happened. After these blackouts, Sean could not remember what he had been doing exactly. He said that he felt like his mind was like constantly jumbled. He couldn't calm the voices down. He couldn't calm the thoughts down. He couldn't focus on anything. And these voices were actually becoming more of a serious problem for him. So at first the voices aren't bothering him. He's kind of like, oh yeah, it's like proving to me that I'm on the right track. But I guess the voices just keep going on for so long and it's becoming such a problem for him that he goes to his mom and he tells her like, mom, I'm hearing these voices in my head and I think that I'm going crazy. This is what he tells his mom. His mom's a dumbass and she's like, oh, okay. She assumed he was just being a teenage boy, just going through those normal teenager hormonal changes, you know, the ones where you hear demons and such teens. So she doesn't do anything with this information. She's like, oh, you're crazy? Okay, get in line. Sure. So Sean finds that to be a little bit frustrating because he feels as if his mom is not taking him seriously because she's not. So he ends up going to two different teachers and he tells these teachers like, I'm hearing things, I'm just not feeling right, like something's not right. But these two teachers also didn't do anything with the information that uh, he gave them. He was trying to get somebody to help him. I'm laughing because it's uncomfortable, right? Like this poor guy, I don't know what I would do. So at school, Sean. John did have a friend, his name was Richard Howard, and he ends up telling his friend Richard at school, he's like, I'm having these really just dark, morbid thoughts about doing really awful things. And his friend Richard, now he was a little nervous at first to tell Richard because he could scare him away, right? Like if your friend tells you, I'm thinking about some really dark shit, you might be a little scared, I don't know. So Richard's listening to this and instead of like offering any type of advice or anything, Richard tells Sean that he needs to embrace the thoughts and that these thoughts aren't bad. They're actually cool because I have them too. This is what Richard's telling Sean. Richard tells Sean, I too am interested in Satanism. I've always had these dark thoughts and they're powerful. Let's keep them. Richard, he too was deep into the darkness. Sean said that Richard was way more evil than he had ever been. And that Richard was the one who initiated a lot of their evil discussions that they had between the two of them. Instead of talking about whatever teen boys talk about, sports, love interest or what, I don't know what boys talk about. But Sean and Richard would discuss potential crimes that they wanted to commit. They would go into like great detail about different murders and robberies they wanted to commit. And then they would talk about how they wanted to rape certain people before killing them. In a later interview, Sean would say that like all of these discussions, this conversation, they were all hypothetical. They weren't like serious about it. It was just for fun. They were using their imagination. He also said that the two of them never had any real intent to commit these crimes. They just thought that these stories would be cool to do. Over time though, their friendship, it grew pretty damn dark and their chats just became more and more serious. Like they weren't joking around anymore. According to Sean, Richard absolutely hated his girlfriend's father whose name was Al Hawks. Now Richard found out that this guy Al had beaten his daughter over an argument and left her heavily bruised. So Richard 
tell Sean like, hey, you know, maybe we can borrow one of my grandpa's guns and use that to murder Al Hawk together. Wouldn't that be fun? Now, it didn't take much convincing for Sean to then agree. Sean mentioned that he did want to like offer some sort of sacrifice that would grant him power in the afterlife with Satan, you know? So he's like, yeah, we should do that. In order for the two of them to feel equally accomplished that evening, Richard said that he would only kill Al after Sean killed someone else first. That way they're even, you know? The two went back and forth trying to decide who would be their first target. Finally, Richard suggested that Sean kill the night shift cashier at the local Circle K. Now, at this point, Sean didn't really care who his victim was. He just wanted to know what it felt like to kill. The Circle K cashier, his name was Robert Bauer. He almost always worked the midnight shift during the week. And Richard, he would usually stop by that Circle K location on his way home from seeing his girlfriend most nights. Richard said that him and the Circle K cashier, Robert, they were like friendly with one another, but there was one time when Richard was trying to buy a beer. Mind you, he's 16, so like he's not, that's not gonna happen. He thought that Robert and him were cool and that Robert would allow him to get the beer, but instead Robert told him no, and this was enough for Robert to move to the top of the boys' kill list because they couldn't get beer. It's not funny, but it's like, oh my God, really? Yes, really. So on that very same night, Richard planned on killing Al Hawk. The two of them went to the Circle K store first. So when the two of them arrived, they went inside and they talked to the cashier, Robert Bauer, for some time. They first purchased some fountain drinks and some snacks, and they were kind of stalling until the perfect moment came. The teenage boys asked different questions about the security measures inside the store. They're asking him, like, hey, where are the cameras at? Do you guys have any cameras here? Do you have a gun behind the counter? And most of the answers were like, no, we don't have that. They didn't have cameras, no gun. Robert told the boys that he had never been robbed before and that the cash register only would carry $50 cash all day. So it was like, he was sure nobody would ever kill him for $50 cash. And for the most part, that was true. But Sean wasn't interested in the money. He just wanted somebody to kill. So Sean said that he exited the store and he walked out to the truck where he got the revolver that they had gotten from the backseat of the truck. Sean said for a moment, he like really, he stood outside and he was thinking like, I don't think I can actually do this. Like, I don't think I'm actually capable of killing somebody. And then Sean said that that light switch in his head flicked and these voices just flooded in telling him that he needed to stop being a coward and that he just needed to go do it. So once Sean got back into the store, Robert was up in his spot behind the counter and then Richard was walking up and down the aisles pretending to like look for snacks. And Richard held up a product, a random product from the shelf and was like, hey, how much is this? And Robert's back was towards him. So he turns around and when he turns around, standing right there was Sean holding a gun to Robert's face. Like nothing was really said. It was just Sean shoots the gun. Luckily he misses and Robert is trying to get away, but Sean keeps shooting and keeps missing. There's like a struggle really goes on for a little bit of time. It's quite sad. And then Sean shoots again, which at that last shot is when it hits and kills Robert for no damn reason to like, ugh. 
According to Sean, the two boys, they run out, they hop into Richard's truck and they sped off laughing. That's what he said. They were laughing at what they had just done. Their adrenaline was just pumping and Sean couldn't believe that like he actually did it. And for some reason, they decided not to go to Al Hawk's house and commit the second murder. I don't know why. Sean also in interviews could not remember exactly why they decided to abandon their original plan. Yeah, they just didn't go. They didn't really mind it too much. I think they were just so high on their adrenaline. They were, I don't know. Sean was excited because he had just committed his first murder, his first real satanic sacrifice. Ooh. It wasn't long after that they had found Robert Bauer, the Circle K cashier. There were no leads to the murder of Robert Bauer. There were no suspects in mind, no evidence, no cameras. It was just one big mystery. Who would want this innocent, hardworking man dead? Now, when Sean read the paper with the news in it saying that they had no leads and stuff, he said that he was feeling relieved, but most of all, he was feeling invincible. Like he could get away with anything. Well, not long after this first murder, Sean got himself a girlfriend. Oh, it was more than just a girlfriend, it was love. He was in love. Sean was dating a 15 year old girl named Angel who went to the same school as Sean and that's how they met. She would go on to drop out of school and she was considered a difficult teen. She just seemed like she was up to no good. That's really, that's how they described her, I don't know. But Sean's parents, they did not like this relationship and Sean really just didn't seem to care. We're in love, mom. Sean's mom, Vonda, she did not like Angel, okay? And she would often badmouth her in front of Sean. She would call her a slut or a whore, reminding her of what a loser she was. His mother was doing everything she possibly could to try and convince Sean that they needed to break up and that it was for his own good. But Sean was not willing to give up the one thing that was making him happy in Oklahoma, the scroll angel. Eventually, Sean could no longer handle the way his mom was verbally abusing both him and his girlfriend. She's only 15 years old, lady. Like, back the fuck up. You know, that's not your, just, no. She had no, like, motherly instinct towards Sean. And all of this is just building up inside of him. And Sean said that the voices inside of his head were giving him a nudge, telling him that Sean knew what he needed to do. Oh, and he did it. In the evening of March 5th, 1986, while um, Sean's parents were in the other room, Sean crept into their bedroom, opened up his stepfather's nightstand, and inside, that's where he kept his 44 revolver. So Sean gets the gun, puts it into his waistband of the jeans that he's wearing, and he slowly like walks back to the bedroom, hoping not to make a peep and let his parents know that he's stealing their gun. So he makes it back to his bedroom and he closes the door and he's just waiting there. He's waiting in his room until he knows that his parents are going to sleep. Sean said that while he's waiting for his parents to like go to their room, he stripped down all like into his black underwear and performed one of his rituals. Out of my own curiosity, I was trying to figure out what was this ritual he was doing. Cause I was like, what are you doing? But I couldn't figure it out. He didn't 
say. And before stepping out of his room, Sean convinced himself that he wasn't committing murder. He was just removing an obstacle from his way. He hears his parents go to bed and he waits a little bit. He does his little ritual and he's in his underwear still. He creeps back into his parents' room with the gun in his hand. And he said that he made the last minute decision to kill his stepfather first. So he gets right next to his stepfather, Lee, and he points the gun at his head and he shoots. Yeah. And then, of course, the gunshot woke Vonda right up, right? So she shoots up. And then Sean shoots a couple of times and then kills his mom. Sean said that he fired a couple of shots afterwards just to make sure, you know, can't have them be alive. And he killed them. Sean said that after killing them, the voices left and he then had no memory or no idea of what he had just done. Which even though like later on, he goes into great detail about the murders, but also he doesn't remember. Blackout, like sure. Afterwards, Sean went around the house and he's trying to like mess everything up, destroying just everything he could to make it look like an intruder came into the family home and killed his parents. So that's his goal. He's like knocking stuff over, like eh, you know? And afterwards, Sean calls up his friend. He tells them like what a great job he did. He went on to say that he stood there in his undershorts while firing the shots so no blood would spatter and be discovered on his clothing. And he thought like he was a genius because of this. He's telling his friend, he's like, yeah, look what I did. Smart. The friend's probably like, oh my God, wow, genius. So police were called out to the family home and it was clear to police that night that this was all a setup. Sean had killed his parents. The way that he was acting, the way that the house was perfectly messed up. There was no actual signs of there being an intruder. Nothing was taken, all their jewelry, their money, their TVs and stuff, like nothing was taken. The police knew like, nay, nay, this is real. Suspicious. Sean said that he left the gun on the floor to make it look like the intruder like dropped his weapon, but like the gun had his fingerprints on it. So Sean just really was an idiot here. I was trying to figure out what exactly it was that the police like knew it was Sean. Like was it the way he was acting or something? But I really couldn't find the information as to what sealed it at the family home. I just was reading different articles that said he was acting funny. The house looked not like an intruder came in and stuff. And then he was arrested or whatever. And like that's really all I could find. So Sean was arrested like right after the discovery of his parents' murder. When news broke of the case, his entire community was dumbfounded. This young 16 year old kid had murdered his parents in cold blood. And more than that, now here was the really shocking part because he claimed to have done it because the demon said that he should. Now this was a Christian community, okay? This is a Christian community. The devil is in our town. They are losing it. They are losing it. The Christian community especially was using this to show, like he became the poster boy. Look what can happen if your child goes to the dark side. Look what can happen when your kids play Dungeon and Dragons. 
they were running with the Dungeons and Dragons thing, even though Sean said that it wasn't Dungeons and Dragons, they were using this to try and get Dungeons and Dragons shut down. They called it the devil's board game. So the narrative was kind of, it was getting changed. It became like, let's ban Dungeons and Dragons for a while, whatever, it became a mess. So remember Sean's friend, Richard? Well, Richard, who was with Sean at the time of the murder of Robert Bowers, he too was initially charged with first degree murder, but the state would end up dismissing the charge and recommended that he give a five year suspended sentence in exchange for testimony against Sean. So Richard being, he's like, okay, I'll testify. During Sean's trial, a psychiatrist testified saying that Sean was incapable of forming the intent necessary to commit first degree murder because he was either insane or legally unconscious at the time of all three killings. The jury was not told that Sean was only 16 at the time of the crime, but instead jurors were asked to decide whether his age was a mitigating factor. So the judge did not allow the defense to introduce expert testimony that juveniles are developmentally different to adults because the judge said that all jurors, they would know that anyway. So Sean is only 16 and nobody was allowed to tell the jurors that a 16 year old isn't the same as a grown adult because according to the judge, the jurors already knew this. But the prosecution was focusing on Sean being an adult when he picked up that gun, that he acted like a man and he's going to have to stay Stand up there like a man because he made this adult man decision to murder. Because he picked up this gun, he should be charged as a man because he was acting like one. And a lot of people agreed with that. And I was like, I don't know you guys, but well, eventually Sean was convicted of first degree murder and it was concluded that he was a continuing threat to society. Now, because he was considered a continuing threat on October, 1986, Sean Sellers was sentenced to death. Now here's where the hot debate comes in because Sean at the age of 17 was sent to death row. In prison, as he waited for his execution, Sean had a spiritual awakening and he would end up converting to Christianity. So Sean's friends started a website on his behalf and they were campaigning for a clemency based on his religious conversion, his age and involvement in Satanism. While on death row, Sean made numerous appearances in the media. He was on the Oprah Winfrey show. He was on a pretty notorious segment on Geraldo, which was about Satanism. And it was just like controversial for this time. And he also appeared, Sean, in many documentaries about Satanism and serial killers for 48 Hours, MSNBC, and the A&E Network. So he was making his rounds, Sean. But he was going around telling everybody that Satanism made him commit these crimes but now that he was a Christian, he knew what he did was wrong and Christianity saved his life, which is fine, right? You're allowed to say that, but it had people kind of feeling a certain way. Like, was he being sincere or was he talking about this because like he want, he didn't want to die. He wanted to get off of death row. Sean's step siblings, they refused to believe that his conversion was sincere. They thought he was doing it so he wouldn't get put down. Prison officials, they did not believe that he had converted, except for one guy. It was the prison chaplain. He believed that Sean was telling the truth that 
he found God and was a changed man. So this kind of had people feeling confused because Sean was making his way around talking about how God saved his life, how he's a changed man, he's a Christian now, and he loves the Bible in summary. And the Christian community, some were standing behind him, pastors and stuff, they believed him and they were like, you know, we have to stand by our, our Christian brother. But there were other Christians who were like, but he murdered three people. So it was like creating some kind of wedge in the Christian community too. So the days are going by and Sean's execution date is creeping up closer and closer. And Sean is trying senselessly to get his case appealed. Even a couple of days before his execution, he was begging for his case to be overturned, stopped, something, but all of Sean's appeals were denied. It was creating like a hot debate because a lot of people were like, okay, he was only 16 when he committed these murders. Like he shouldn't be on death row. He shouldn't be killing kids. But then the other side of people were like, he killed three people. It doesn't matter. Once a killer, always a killer, put him down. People didn't know how to feel about this one. And death row, it's, it's a very slow process. You sit there forever. So Sean sat on death row until February 4th, 1999. And he was now 29 years old. So now he's 29 years old. And a lot of people are like, well, should he be put down for the crime that he committed when he was only 16 years old? You know, like he's grown, he's changed. He says he changed. The Christian community heard Sean's cries and believed that he had changed and some were fighting for his freedom. Others really didn't know what to think because he was a murderer and this is America and you know how America feels about murderers. So the crimes that Sean had committed, everyone could agree they were absolutely horrible, tragic, awful, but his punishment was a bit much. That's what the people are saying. At this time, Oklahoma had never executed a prisoner for a crime committed when they were under 18 years old. But the show must go on. So Sean got to pick his last meal as all prisoners usually do, right? But his last meal, if you are curious like myself, he had Chinese food. He got sweet and sour shrimp. He got fried shrimp. And then he was on his way to be executed, which he was on February 4th, 1999 at 12, 17 AM. Sean died by lethal injection into his arms. Five minutes beforehand, during the last five minutes of his life. It was said that Sean sang Christian songs before saying, here I come father, I'm coming home. And then Sean turned to the warden, looked him in the eyes and said, let's do it Gary, let's get it on. Sean's last words were a prayer. He made quite the exit. And then the switch in Sean Sellers' mind was officially flicked off for the last time. Sean was the first and still remains the only person executed in the United States for a crime committed under the age of 17 since the reinstatement of the death penalty in 1976. Now in 2005, the US Supreme Court decided that it was unconstitutional to execute an individual for a crime committed under the age of 18. Therefore, you can't execute someone who commits an awful crime under the age of 18. And that my friends is 
a very sad story about Sean Sellers. Don't get me wrong, what he did was awful. Absolutely awful. He killed three people. He took three people. I don't know about his parents because his mom sounded like the absolute devil. And to be fair, like I'm not here trying to justify murder at all, but okay, that one makes sense. But I'm saying like the gas station, Robert Bauer, like innocent man, he died and he did not deserve that, right? What Sean did was awful. I just don't know how I feel about executing someone under the age of 18. Like that is really sad, but he murdered three people. So it is a really, I don't know, just a wasted life, honestly. Because of Sean's case though, the US Supreme Court stepped in and passed a law saying that you can't execute anyone under the age of 18, which I think is good. I don't freaking know. I I don't know. I don't like to play God. I don't like to say when someone should die and when someone should not. I just, I don't know. Some people deserve the death penalty, truly. And then sometimes I'm like, meh, just let them rot in prison. That's worse than the death penalty in my eyes, you know? But I don't freaking know. I'm so torn on the death penalty. It's a weird one. The death penalty is so strange. Oh my God, I just thought of something. Do they have a death penalty in other countries? I didn't even think about that. I know some countries do for sure, but it's not a thing everywhere, huh? Or is it? I don't know, I'm gonna have to Google that one. Anyways, thank you guys so much for hanging out with me today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You make good choices and I'll be seeing you guys later. Bye.